أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله تبارك وتعالى وسلم على سيدنا محمد سيدنا وسندنا وحبيبنا وشفيعنا ومولانا صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وذرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد الحمد لله we reached this mubarak Thirteenth night of Ramadan. Allahumma ya hayu ya qayyum bi rahmatik astaghfu aslih lana shaknana kullahu wa la tikilna ila anfusuna tarfata ain. Ya hayu ya qayyum bi rahmatik astaghfu aslih lana shaknana kullahu wa la tikilna ila anfusuna tarfata ain. Ya hayu ya qayyum bi rahmatik astaghfu aslih lana shaknana kullahu wa la tikilna ila anfusuna tarfata ain. O Allah, the ever living, the source of all life. And the one through whom all things subsist. We cry out desperately for your mercy. Rectify for us our entire affair. And do not leave us to our own devices, even for the twinkling of an eye. The stories that we recount in this reading, they're stories of real people who lived in very desperate times who fought very real enemies uh, and were in very real mortal danger uh, from each other, from their external enemies, from themselves. And this is a story of their bravery and their struggle. Sadly, there are many people who need to hear these stories of bravery in order to fortify themselves internally. And oftentimes the people who need to hear these things the most are the ones that are most heedless. So glad tidings to a person who Allah Ta'ala gives tawfiq to hear and listen and benefit and take strength. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase their ranks and put the affair of the Muslims in their hands. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relieve uh, of this affair those people who neither have the strength inside to carry it, nor do they seek it, nor do they have the responsibility enough in order to cultivate that strength inside of them, uh, that they can keep the trust that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given them with regards to the Ummah of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa so we continue our reading. Mawlana Sayyid Abu Hassan Ali Nadwi rahimahullah ta'ala uh, from his book, The Saviors of the Islamic Spirit, under the uh, chapter regarding Iz ibn Abdul Salam, Sultan al Ulama, the great Shaykh uh, uh, of, of his age, and under the sub subheading uh, Iz al-Din in the battlefield. Mawlana writes, these were the days when the dissensions amongst the Muslim monarchs had again created a situation favorable to the crusaders who unsheathed their swords to take an offensive against uh, uh, Mansura in Egypt. Izzuddin accompanied the forces sent to retrieve the city from the Christians. A chronicler of the time, Ibn Subki, writes that Izzuddin's prayer for the success of the Muslim forces was readily answered by God. The reinforcements of the crusaders could not reach them as their ships were taken by a gale which submerged quite a few of them. The Mongols had also started raiding and plundering the Muslim territories by then. Once there was an imminent danger of Mongol invasion of Egypt, but the Sultan and his commanders were so disheartened that they could not muster courage to face the Mongol hordes. Izzuddin encouraged the Sultan to fight against the Mongols. He even assured the Sultan of his success against the Mongols. 
At last, the Sultan agreed to his suggestion, but as he was facing paucity of funds, he sought the advice of Izzuddin about raising the necessary finance through loans from businessmen. Izzuddin, however, advised, first bring the ornaments of your women folk and those of your dignitaries and nobles and all of the treasure they have in their possession. These are all prohibited by the Sharia and should be used for meeting the expenses of this expedition. If you still need the money, then you can raise it through loans. Surprising though it may seem, the king and his nobles brought out with a demure all of the jewelry and valuables they possessed, as the sheikh had directed. The riches so brought forth were enough to meet the expenses of raising an adequate force to face the Mongols who were defeated by the Egyptian army as predicted by Izzuddin. A still more surprising incident of the sheikh's life described by the historians relates to his insistence upon auctioning those dignitaries of the sultan's court whom he held to be the property of the state exchequer since they happened to be slaves who had not been emancipated in accordance to the provisions of the sharia. These chiefs of state were recruited as royal levies from the Turkish Mamluks or slaves, but had risen to the positions of authority and wielded great influence in the government of Egypt. One of them even held the post of a minister of the Sultan. Izzuddin pronounced the juristic opinion that these chiefs were still slaves in accordance to the rules of the Sharia and should be treated as such until they can be formally emancipated. The population of Egypt immediately ceased cooperating with such chiefs and dignitaries who were placed in such an invidious position that they had to call upon the sheikh and inquire what he proposed to do with them. Izzuddin, however, told them plainly that he would sell them in a public auction on behalf of the state treasury and thereafter they would be emancipated as provided by the sharia. They appealed to the sultan who also tried as the analysts have recorded to placate Izzuddin but he remained adamant. During the discussion on the subject the sultan told Izzuddin that he should not concern himself with the affairs of state and also said something uh, as it has been reported which was taken ill uh, by Izzuddin. The sheikh returned to his house and announced his decision to leave Egypt immediately. The news spread like wildfire in Cairo, and an overwhelming majority of its population decided to follow Izzuddin and migrate with him. The matter was brought to the notice of the sultan, who was also told that if Izzuddin went away from Egypt, his kingdom would also come to an end. Extremely worried by this fastly deteriorating situation, the sultan himself went to bring Izzuddin back to the city, who had by then uh, left it with a large section of its inhabitants. The Sultan had at length to give Izzuddin who was allowed to auction the chief, give in to Izzuddin who was allowed to auction the chiefs. The Mamluk minister, however, still tried to dissuade the Sheikh, but failing in his efforts, decided, decided to slay Izzuddin. He went with his entourage, sword in hand, to the house of Izzuddin and knocked at the door. The son of Izzuddin, who came out to answer the call, went in and told his father what he had seen, but the sheikh calmly said, My son, your father is not lucky enough to be slain in the way of God. Izzuddin came out without the slightest trace of fear on his face. As soon as the minister saw Izzuddin, he was overtaken by a flutter and the sword fell from his hand. With tears in his eyes, he humbly repeated the question, My lord, what do you want to do with us? I will auction you, the sheikh's reply went. And where will you spend the sale proceeds, the minister demanded again. The sheikh replied crisply on the welfare of the Muslims. The minister asked again, who will collect the sale price? Izzuddin replied, myself. The minister at last agreed to be sold by the sheikh who auctioned him with the other Mamluks. As a mark of respect to the position held by these dignitaries, the sheikh fixed a higher price for each 
and asked them to deposit the sale price. The money thus collected by Izzedin was spent on the welfare projects while the chiefs were granted their warrant of emancipation. The historian Ibn Subki writes, uh, uh, such an incident was never heard of uh, earlier about anyone. Uh, this is perhaps the only example of its kind recorded by history about the deference and veneration ever accorded to any scholar. So this is an interesting story. Uh, there's a little bit of a background that's needed. Uh, these slaves were not like normal slaves. This is not like uh, uh, you know someone picking cotton out in the field uh, uh, in the south. Uh, what happened was in the old days uh, in the Muslim world, uh, the original armies of conquest were basically the rank, rank and file of, um, of the Ummah. And then once the state became powerful and uh, it, it essentially establishes itself and their safety uh, uh, in uh, the lands uh, all the way from uh, Tunis uh, and Morocco in the west all the way to uh, Central Asia, Kashgar, uh, which is now the eastern occupied eastern Turkestan in the, in the, in the east. Um, what happens is there's no real enemies left to fight. Uh, except for very occasionally. And politicians, they need armies in order to fight each other, in order to unseat their relatives and to become, uh, you know, king or whatever and fight their enemies, political enemies. But normal rank-and-file Muslims don't want to fight, fight those battles. No Muslim wants to go and fight his brother and kill someone in the battlefield or be killed by someone in the battlefield just so one candidate can become a king or a prince or a governor or whatever versus the other. People usually don't care about those things. Regular people don't care about those things. And by and large, the Muslim populace was relatively devoted to Islam. They didn't want to die doing these things. So what ends up happening is they will recruit, uh, they will recruit slave armies, basically uh, warrior uh, caste or class people from Africa, from Central Asia, from different places in the world. Um, they will purchase uh, those people and then train them uh, as uh, soldiers, slave soldiers, uh, in order to fight their 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 wars and their battle uh, battles as mercenaries, and they'll promise them if you win this battle, we'll give you you know this money and that you know position and power and blah blah blah, and so those are the people who used to fight these fight these wars. And interestingly enough, that's how the Turks kind of uh, first come into uh, contact with the Muslim world is that they're uh, basically brought in large numbers as slave mercenaries. They become Muslims. At some point, and they become very devout Muslims. Uh, uh, at some point, but when, what ends up happening is, uh, you know, Banu Abbas, who is heavily dependent on these uh, slave armies uh, from outside, and then afterward also on like uh, bureaucrats, uh, non-Arab bureaucrats that kind of help them plan their wars, and you know, it's kind of like these for hire type people, like kind of corporate sleazeball type people, like uh, you know, you have a. Um, you know, RJR Nabisco is trying to sell cigarettes to children. Nobody, no normal person would do that job. But, you know, you go to business school, they kind of give you this training on how to be a sleazeball. And, uh, uh, you know, there'll be people like, okay, well, like, let's make this like Joe Camel or whatever and, you know, market, uh, you know, make it ir irresistible for children or whatever. So, yeah, they have a class of people like that basically are hired to be the bureaucrats of the state. And slave, uh, mercenary slave armies are, are hired to be the military of the state. Well, what ends up happening at some point or another is the Turkic uh, slave armies realize, hey, we hold all the power in the state and uh, there's really nothing stopping us from taking the state over. And that is effectively the end of the rule of the Abbasid Caliphate. The first part of the Abbasid Caliphate, they are actually, uh, um, they are uh, uh, effective rulers. Uh, they're people who actually have power in their hands. Uh, 
at some point or another, the, the, the Seljuk, uh, uh, you know, Turkic slave generals will tell the Khalifa, look, calm down. You have a nice palace, slave girls and uh, food and singing and all this other fun stuff and plants and gardens and peacocks and all this other jazz, uh, nice clothes. Why don't you guys just calm down and enjoy yourselves and uh, don't really make any comment about running the country because you're not good at it. And, uh, you know, if you do, we're going to put an end to your uh, rule. And that is a source of a lot of intrigue in politics. And then since then, uh, a lot of a lot of Muslim states will follow this model. The king will prefer to have slave armies, mercenary armies over actually levying uh, troops from the normal Muslim populace. Uh, because they can depend on those slave armies to fight their weird political wars and uh, not have a conscience when they're fighting, whereas Muslims will be like, hey, yeah, we're not giving Jerusalem to the Crusaders or you know th that type of stuff. They're not going to be down for it. So some of these people were, uh, you know, that we're talking about in this section, they're quite despotic people. They're very powerful. Um, they were warriors. Uh, they held a lot of clout in the state. There's no justice system above their heads. And uh, it's not like, you know, Izzuddin is like, oh, you're a slave, so we're going to treat you like a slave, you know, because, you know, some dude is trying to pick cotton in the, in the field and he doesn't want him to be free. That's not, that's not what's going on here. What's going on here is there's like a despotic uh, uh, person um, in, uh, in a high position of power uh, who probably is not the most upright uh, government functionary. And in a way of putting a check, like a political move to put a check against the state, um, who has these tendencies that the more power they have, the more despotic they behave, the more they hoard the people's wealth, the more they act in their own self-interest rather than in the interest of the common populace. Uh, he, he basically brings up this technicality that you guys are still technically slaves and according to the Sharia of Allah Ta'ala, you know, you can't, you know, enter into agreements and all this other stuff uh, um, like a free man can. And so he says they have to be auctioned. And he does this very in a very calculated way in order to... Uh, kind of abase them and drop their dignity in the eyes of the people in order to uh, let them know that, uh, hey, you're, uh, uh, you're not untouchable and uh, you guys need to be on, on notice the way you behave and the way you consume and the way that you tax and et cetera, et cetera. You can't just work with impunity. And it's actually good because what does it do? It actually uh, rehabilitates these people into general society as well so that they act like one of the qawm rather than uh, you know some sort of like unscrupulous mercenary warlord uh, which is something that does happen it's a really really interesting it's a really interesting uh, era in muslim history and the fact is that uh, you know people are you know for good reasons they have they're uncomfortable with slavery but the slavery that was practiced in the muslim world is very different than the slavery that was practiced in the american south and you never have this kind of weird issue where you know, clergy members have to like have political jousting matches with slaves because the slaves are too powerful. Uh, but that's a kind of a peculiarity, a unique peculiarity of the Muslim system. Uh, and so that's basically what's going on. That this kind of warlord mercenary guy, uh, the sheikh is like, you know, he's like, we're going to auction you and uh, we're going to uh, you know, take your price and good at, put it in the exchequer, the state exchequer, uh, in order to kind of show you what's up. And this guy literally came to kill him and he could have done it. And the sheikh came out and, uh, you know, uh, sometimes uh, a little bit of uh, bravery at the right time gets in the head of a coward. A coward thinks, oh man, uh, you know, this guy is so confident, you know, is he bluffing or does he really have something behind him? And uh, Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala is the one who uh, protects his awliya. 
you know, there's something very beautiful actually in this story because it rem- it's reminiscent of a story of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam himself that he uh, um, hung his sword from a tree and took a nap under its shade and the companions were uh, uh, that were out, out with him in that foray uh, were resting uh, by another tree so as to not disturb him, to give him his space. And so a, Bed- a Bedouin, uh, a non-Muslim Bedouin really like really stealthily stu- snuck in and he stood over the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam with his sword unsheathed and uh, when the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam opened his eyes and saw him with his sword, uh, naked sword uh, held over his head the Bedouin said who's going to save you from me now and the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said Allah and the Bedouin he started to shake and his hands trembled and the sword fell from his hand and uh, if this is not uh, just one more proof of how much baraka there is in the divine name uh, I don't know what is uh, and so the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa took the sword and stood up and held it over him then and said who will save you from me now and the man pleaded with him that be a generous be generous with me be, be noble with me and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he didn't he didn't kill him but uh, you know this this story of the Sheikh Ezra bin Abdul Salam is very uh, beautiful in the sense that it's also reminiscent of that prophetic uh, that prophetic uh, uh, incident, and uh, the people who love the Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam you'll see their lives uh, mirror his in very interesting ways uh, at times. Uh, some in, in in different like particular ways Allah will uh, honor them uh, by having some experiences that that resembled the experiences of the Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam in their own little way and uh, uh, so that's that's really that's really beautiful uh, but it doesn't work if you're a coward if you don't have conviction it doesn't work your conviction is not you know based on your own abilities in yourself Izzuddin definitely could not have taken on uh, taken on uh, this like Turkic uh, warlord mercenary warlord uh, he had no army he was a man who read books for a living, um, but uh, uh, the conviction was what in the in the divine name that uh, he uh, he stood and he stood for what was right, regardless of who was in his face. And Allah Taala came to his aid, uh, like Allah Taala does for those who believe. Izzuddin and the kings of Egypt. Egypt witnessed quite a few political upheavals during Izzuddin's stay in that country. When he arrived in Egypt. Uh, a monarch of Salahuddin's dynasty, Al-Malik Salih Najmuddin Ayyub, was ruling over the country. He was succeeded by his son, uh, Al-Malik Al-Mu'azzam Turan Shah, uh, after whom the Turkish chiefs uh, seized the reign of government. They too held Izzuddin in high esteem, uh, while uh, the celebrated Turk Sultan, uh, Al-Malik Al-Zahir Babers, was especially devoted to the Sheikh. So what he's, you know, Mulana is saying is that basically uh, Turan Shah was a very weak and ineffectual ruler after uh, 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 Al-Malik uh, 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 Salih Ayyub. And uh, basically their, their dynasty is overthrown by those same Turkic uh, 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 slave generals. Uh, and that is what starts the Mamluk dynasty. The word Mamluk in Arabic means uh, owned. Uh, and when saying, you know, when you describe a human being as Mamluk, it means they're a slave. 
And so we have this uh, Mamluk dynasty, a slave king dynasty. There is a very, uh, very prominent one, uh, which this describes its inauguration in Egypt and Syria. And there was another prominent one in the Indian subcontinent, uh, which was also a very interesting time. The Sheikh Qutbuddin Aybek was a disciple of the Sheikh Qutbuddin Bakhtiyar Kaki, who we mentioned uh, before uh, in the first 10 days. Um, and the slave king dynasties usually and generally had very good relations with the ulama and actually honored the ulama as the patrician class of society more so than the old Arab rulers did with their uh, tribal hierarchy. So Turan Shah is, uh, is uh, deposed and then the Mamluks uh, take over and in particular uh, it was uh, it was uh, uh, the Sheikh Al-Malik Al-Zahir Ruknuddin Babers uh, who was a very pious man uh, and he'll we'll talk it's a really interesting period of history I, I'm I don't know if he's going to uh, get into I don't recall right off the top of my head if he's going to get into it but the um, the last days of uh, Al-Malik uh, 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 Salih and Najmuddin Ayyub uh, were really interesting they were kind of really weird uh, his uh, uh, most favorite uh, uh, slave girl a woman by the name of uh, Shajar Dur uh, Shajar being a tree and Dur means pearls so that was her name she was a very uh, she was a very intelligent woman and she essentially will in the in the twilight days of the king um, effectively take power from him while he's in convalescence and she'll rule Egypt and there's like a whole bunch of weird intrigue with regards to that and um, after after that kind of weird period in uh, Egyptian and very interesting period in Egyptian history um, uh, Turan Shah takes over and then uh, after he's uh, deposed the, the Mamalik basically de 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 deposed the uh, Ayyubid dynasty um, for the protection of the state because it's uh, on the verge of being uh, gobbled up uh, by the crusaders in the west and the mongols in the east um, it was on the advice of Izzuddin that Babers invited Abu Qasim Ahmed the uncle of uh, the last uh, Khalifa Mu'tasim Billah who had escaped the massacre of the Mongols to Cairo in 659 uh, after Hijra uh, and acknowledged him as the uh, Khalifa under the title of Al-Mustansir uh, Billah. Uh, the first uh, to take the oath of allegiance with him was uh, Izzuddin and next came the Sultan Babers after uh, whom the chief Qadi, the chief judge Tajuddin and then the principal sheikhs and nobles. Which is another really interesting uh, um, chapter in history that uh, the Mongols, when they uh, sacked Baghdad, um, they killed the Khalifa and they, you know, they basically killed everybody and they ended up destroying the entire, uh, entire uh, Abbasid royal family, uh, except for uh, this one uh, individual, uh, uh, Abu Qasim Ahmed, um, who escapes from, uh, escapes from Iraq. Now, the historians will uh, say that this is a very controversial matter, whether he is actually part of their family or not, or they just kind of put him in as a prop, or he made a, a fake claim or whatever. There's a lot of contention uh, around, that, uh, around that matter, and I'll leave it to the historians. Um, you know, just my own common sense thinking is that 
you know, uh, the, probably the main part of the family was all massacred anyway. And uh, uh, to be honest with you, um, if he was part of the family, he would have necessarily been a very distant part. And if he wasn't, a Khalifa is a Khalifa anyway. And uh, 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 the Muslims have an obligation to unite under one ruler. Uh, all of the Muslims didn't acknowledge him as being the legitimate Khalifa, but the central heartlands uh, of Islam uh, gen generally did. And when the Khilafah is then formally ceded to um, to the Ottomans, it's from the the, the, the lineage of this uh, of this uh, Khalifa who was installed in Egypt after the sack of Baghdad. Uh, and this is also the hikmah of Izzuddin that he kept the institution alive uh, for those years. The moral rectitude of Izzuddin. Izzuddin was a much celebrated uh, person for his generosity, kindness, and humanity as for his profound knowledge and piety. The chief Qadi Badruddin ibn Jama'a, who is a very famous uh, scholar in our tradition, relates that when Izzuddin was still in Damascus, a slump in prices once overtook the market. As the prices of groves had suffered a steep fall, the wife of Izzuddin gave him an ornament to purchase a grove so that they might spend the summer in it. Izzuddin sold the ornament and gave over the sale proceeds in charity. So she gave some part of her jewelry because she thought, oh, look, the market is low. And uh, this is like, you know, women, that, that was their savings in, in those days, uh, was in their jewelry, as it is with some women still to this day. He sold the ornament and gave over the sale proceeds in charity. Later, when his wife asked if he had pur purchased the grove, Izzuddin replied, yes, but in paradise. I saw many poor people in great distress, so I spent the money on them. His wife uh, thanked God for the good act of Izzuddin. Don't tell the story to your wives. They're all going to, uh, uh, you know, write some sort of complaint about you to IslamQA.com. But those were different people, mashallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, mercy and exalt their, their ranks. Qadi Badruddin also uh, has written that Izzuddin gave uh, as freely when he was poor as when he happened to be rich. If he had nothing to give a beggar, he would part with a portion of his turban. This is also sunnah of the Rasulullah that he never left anyone empty-handed. Uh, if he had anything to give, he would give it. And this was also a, a, a practice of many of the, many of the, the awliya and the great mashayikh uh, of the tariqah as well as the mashayikh of ilm. And there are people who have sections of the, 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 the turbans or the jubbas or the, 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 the clothing of um, the clothing of the mashaykh. And this is what it means to give someone the shirt off their back. Uh, that these are the people who actually put that into practice. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala exalt their ranks. In the era when people will kill their own brother for uh, some luxury, uh, they used to give even the, the shirt off their back for a stranger. Izzuddin was equally courageous and truthful against his own self as against the kings and nobles. Ibn Subki and Suyuti both write that once during his stay in Egypt, Izzuddin made a certain mistake in the juristic opinion uh, given by him. As soon as he came to know of his mistake, he got an announcement made that the people should not act upon that opinion since it was wrong. Again, this is in an era when people, you know, try to sweep their uh, own mistakes under the rug because they don't want to have a PR issue. Uh, these people were, uh, uh, you know, PR issues, a public relations uh, uh, issue. These people don't want to have a Allah relations issue. And so they used to do these things. Ibn Subki relates that Izzuddin had also favored, uh, been favored with inner enlightenment. His, Ibn Subki also not a small figure in our, uh, in our history. Uh, uh, he'd also been favored with inner enlightenment. His fearlessness, disregard for worldly power, fame and riches, and above all, 
the unflinching faith and trust in God showed that he had attained the sublimeness of spirit. Uh, Ibn Subki record, records that Izzuddin was a disciple of the famous spiritual mentor Sheikh Shahabuddin Suhurwardi, uh, who had authorized him to guide others in the mystic path, meaning he was the Sheikh of that tariqah. Uh, Izzuddin also had uh, the opportunity of meeting with uh, and remaining in the company uh, of another uh, reputed uh, uh, Sheikh, uh, uh, Abul Hassan uh, al-Shadili. Uh, who was also Sheikh al-Mashaykh, mashallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raised his rank uh, from his khulafa. Uh, you uh, have uh, Sidi Abu Abbas al-Mursi, uh, and then after him Ata- Ibn Ata'illah al-Iskandari, uh, also from the disciples of that tariq is uh, Imam Busiri, uh, Sahib uh, al-Burda, and a number of great mashaykh uh, in the uh, old times and uh, even uh, in the new ones and even in the, the current and contemporary ones all the way up until this age. Uh, those were the pillars of the ummah, the ones that resisted the French and the ones that resisted the uh, uh, the colonizers and the usurpers and the Muslim lands, and the ones who preserved the ulum when the madars were destroyed and still uh, proliferate them to this day. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy and give ta'yid to those who follow their uh, their turuq their and those who uphold uh, uh, their standards and those who uphold their values and those who uh, continue to serve with excellence. The ulum and uh, uh, the khadamat of uh, Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ameen. Wa sallallahu tabarak wa ta'ala wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wa sallamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.